I was so excited to get invited to speak to a group of advanced pastors. That's what I thought I was coming to. Um, and I thought, oh boy, we're usually speaking to the B team. And I'm gonna get, we're going to get the A team. And I was so excited about that. And then I saw the name out front, Advanced Conference. And so then I understood. So that, but you're advanced anyhow, so that's good. Um, we are delighted to be with you. We love Southlands. We love the staff. Yeah. And Alan will let you know that. I mean, yeah, it's good to see you. Thank you, brother. Uh, you know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And, and the second is to love your neighbors yourself. And that includes us. We have to be able to love the Lord, but we also have to be able to love horizontally. And what that passage is talking about is learning to love vertically and horizontally, and that's not easy to do. And we are told to be the kind of people that if we do that well and learn how to do that, see, we knew, knew how to do the vertical one, but you and I did not know how to do the horizontal one well. And that's why we didn't last for a season. But then we learned something new, and we want to be able to last longer. And so there was a prayer we prayed. You know, we prayed the prayer that's in the Psalms, search me, O Lord, know my heart, and see if there's any hurtful way in me or painful way, and lead me in the everlasting way. That's probably the bravest prayer you could ever pray, yep. and it is guaranteed an answer, absolutely guaranteed, because God delights to help us understand what's broken so that we can go the long haul and experience healing while we're in the ministry. Mm -hmm. So we're made in the image and likeness of God, and our God exists perpetually and from eternity, all eternity, in community. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit is, is a community. And therefore, being made in the image and likeness of God, we are made for community as well. And a lot of times, we don't do well in relationships because relationships stress us. The ministry stresses us. And life stresses us. And we're going to talk this morning, just for a moment, this afternoon for a moment, about three successful things we need to learn to do in order to be able to manage stress and strain well so that we can be leaders that last. Uh, number one, we have to manage stress effectively. And we're going to come back to these. This is a quick list. We need to learn to manage stress effectively. Number two, we need to have self-awareness and other awareness. And number three, we need to learn how to repair ruptures repair ruptures. Kay, why don't you start us off? Okay, well, we already know church planning is stressful because we did it. And is marriage stressful? Is parenting stressful? Yeah, life is stressful. There's tribulation and we have stress. So um, I want you to think something uh, of something that stressed you recently. It could be something in your marriage. It could be a, a church situation. It could be one of your kids. But just pick a specific situation of something that stressed you. And then I want you to take this orange bookmark you have and look on the orange side. There's a green side and an orange side. And I want you to write down three words that would relate to the stressful experience you had. So you're going to look at that word list and say, because of this stressor, I experienced these three feelings. And try and use more than one category. So you need the bookmark to do this. Three words. 
just jot them down somewhere on something close by. Okay, so what are some of the words you're writing down right now? Just tell me, don't tell me the stressful situation, just tell me the words. Overwhelmed, what else? Sad, anxious, angry, confused, alone, disappointed. All right, are these happy feelings? <laughs> no, they're, they're not. So really when we talk about managing stress, we're talking about knowing how to deal with difficult emotions. And I want you to just think quickly, like when you think about your mom, what did she do when she was stressed? If she's here, don't answer that. <laughs> but if she's not here, what did she do? All right, clean. That's a good one. A lot of people do that. A couple more. Yelling. What else? Eat. What about your dad? Drink. Watch sports. Okay, so you can see that we have a behavior. So now I want you to think of what was your behavior because of those feelings? What was your response? What did you do with the stress? You have a stressor. You just identified three feelings. What was your action? Did you attempt to get relief? How did you get relief? Because usually when we're having difficult emotions, we need relief, right? And we had a modeling to us as we were growing up of what do you do when you're in a bad mood? And sometimes the modeling we got isn't going to work very well in our marriages and in our churches. So the question also, as you stop and think, what did I do with that stress and those emotions, is did I resolve them relationally or non-relationally? Relationally or non-relationally? That's very important. Where do you think addictions come from? If I'm stressed, if I have all these feelings that we all shared here and Oh, by the way, you're the leaders of the people out there that are feeling these feelings too. But if you feel them, so are they. And what does our society teach us to do to make that pain go away? We turn to things that are non-relational ways to find relief. Actually, what it is, is we're medicating or, or making that pain go away. We're covering it up with something that we do. And many of those things turn into addictive behaviors. But then we have to ask ourselves, what did Jesus do? So... One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible relative to this subject is in Matthew 26. So listen along with me for a second. On one of Jesus' most stressful days as a human being, the day before he died on the cross, he was wrestling and in a lot of distress and emotional anguish. And Jesus came with him to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. So he put the group over here, minus Judas. Then he went further over there, and he took Peter, James, and John with him. Now, he'd, done some, he'd taken Peter, James, and John on some special field trips prior to this moment. He helped. He took them into a place where he raised a little girl from the dead. He took them to the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, hey, here's what I look like in glory. He, he developed some intimate relationships with them, and he chose to take this moment and bring them closer. He had a Peter, James, and John, the closest ones. 
And then he began to be grieved and distressed. When you think of a person who's grieved and distressed, he hadn't said anything yet, what would he look like or what would anybody look like who is grieved and distressed? Give me some synonyms or words. What? They might look defeated. What do you think their behavior is going to be? They're moaning, they're pacing, they're making noise, they're kicking the dirt, they're wandering around, they don't know what to do with themselves. And he began to be grieved and distressed. This was a stress response, mm -hmm. see? He hadn't said a word yet. But then he opened his mouth and he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here with me and keep watch with me. So he defied his soul. Now, the Greek word for soul is suke, P-S-U-C-H-E. We get our word psychology from it. It simply means your inner self, what's on the inside. Now, I don't know what's in you or you or you until you tell me what's in there. So he opened his mouth and he said, here's what's in my soul. My soul's grieved at the point of death. Come watch and pray with me. Then what he did after that, he invited them into his journey, told them what was happening inside, and then he fell on his face before the Father. And after getting horizontal support, he got vertical support. And he said, Father, if it's possible, is there another way we can do this? Let this cup pass from me. Finally, he said, he did that three times. And finally, faith came in, not in the emotional struggle, but when he said, nevertheless, let thy will, not mine, be done. That's where faith comes in. He said, your will, not mine. And then he got up from that experience, and he was resolute, and he went to the cross. So it was an emotional experience. And he had three things. He had self-awareness, what was happening inside. He had horizontal support with Peter, James, and John. And he had vertical support with the Heavenly Father. It was this beautiful mixture of, of, of a way to find relief and support. So self-awareness, did we have any of that when we were in the ministry? No. <laughs> I, did, I didn't know I didn't know. No, I, really I didn't, didn't know I didn't know either. You know, the, the interesting thing is, is so much of our growth, God revealed things that we didn't even know were a problem. And one of the things was self-awareness. And self-awareness is developed when a parent asks a child over and over when they're small. They recognize a feeling. They first name that feeling when they're really little. And as they grow up, they ask a child to put words to what's inside. And if a child's taught that, then they learn that there's feeling states inside. And you can put words to them. And you can tell those words to other people. But we just came from homes where they just didn't know how to do that. And so I had one word for feelings. And I'll, I'll tell you more about that, but it was fine. That was my one word to describe what was inside. So self-awareness is really important. And what Jesus models here is it's okay to not be okay. Now that's really important because we thought faith meant you always look like you're put together. You, if you're trusting the Lord, you have joy, you have peace, you have patience, you have kindness. Now, all those fruits of the Spirit are really important. But there's moments in every Bible character in the Bible, there's moments where they really struggled. And they weren't okay. And Jesus models that, that it's okay to not be okay. I mean, he knew he was going to the cross before the foundation of the world. And yet he cried with loud wailing and tears, it says in Hebrews. So the last thing we want, you know, we've got to increase our self-awareness. And we're going to, that feeling word list was invaluable to me 
in terms of helping me learn to discover what was inside and, and put words to it because I didn't learn that growing up. But if you don't know what you feel, you don't know what you need. And, you know, as, as you say that, if you look from Genesis to Revelation, <clears throat> does our God able to describe his emotions? Okay, I'm going to help you out here since you're an advanced group of pastors. <laughs> if I shake my head up and down, there's your cue, okay? So does our God from Genesis to Revelation have all the emotions in the book? Yes. Does he tell us why they're there, how they're there, what he's going to do about it, and all these different things? Yes, he does. And not only does he have all these emotions, but we're made in the, emotion, in the, in the image and likeness of God. We're, we are made with emotions, too. And so we have to learn to acknowledge them. And then, Kay, once we had self-awareness, as we developed that, I could begin to have other awareness that you had feelings, and I wasn't afraid to ask you what was in there because I was doing the same journey myself. Yep, that took 15 years. <laughs> well, so. it took 15 years because the ministry exposed that we didn't know yeah. how to do that. Stressors are an exposer. That's right. And marriage is an exposer, and parenting is an exposer. And it's hard because it's, it is an exposer. But it also makes available what needs to be healed. Okay, so the last thing, we've got three quick things here, is rupture and repair. The whole gospel is a story of rupture and repair. There's a rupture. God goes to the, um, sends his son, goes to the cross, provides a repair. How many of you growing up saw ruptures in your home because they were there whether you saw them or not? There's, well, rupture just means someone hurt someone, someone got mad at someone, someone misunderstood, someone broke a promise. Uh, and then you saw repairs. You saw those things worked out to where both people left the table feeling better. How many? One, raise your hand higher so I can see. Okay, you're the lucky ones. How many don't have any experience of that? Okay, so how are we supposed to grow up and just know how to do that? Repair. So first of all, you have to know there's even a rupture. I remember used to walking around my house with a mopey face, hoping someone would see I wasn't okay and ask me about it. That was before you knew me. That was before I knew you. Just wanted to set that clear. And my dad said things to me like, don't trip over your lower lip. So what did I do? I, I learned to hide. And so many of us, when we don't have good uh, models of both handling stress, dealing with negative emotions, and then repairing ruptures, um, we have to learn those skills as an adult. So we were at the 15 to 18-year mark in our marriage when God started to reveal. We had just left the ministry, and God started to reveal some of the things that were broken. Because we asked him to. Because we asked him to. Okay, because we knew that something was wrong. When I left that church, I said, I know what's wrong, me. There's stuff in me that isn't working well, and I am the reason why we're not going to places maybe we could go if I was healthier, stronger, and there was stuff that I did not know what the problem was. So we said to God, what is it? Where, where do we need to grow up? And this was an area that we needed to grow up in these areas. If you look at Jesus for a second and think of him as a securely connected human being in his humanity, but also from eternity, he had a great family of origin, didn't he? <laughs> you know, the Trinity in heaven. Isn't that a good, isn't that a good family of origin? And, and so he understood this thing called community, you see, and there was security there. And as such, he 
understood what to do when he was stressed. He knew how to manage that with people and go into relational relief. Number two, he had self-awareness, could express it, was willing to be vulnerable and tell his three closest disciples mm -hmm. what was going on. And then, of course, he would, uh, understood completely this issue of rupture and repair. He knew how to repair things. And so we didn't understand those things either. If you look at him as a secure, securely connected individual, and you look at him as a, as a model of what secure connection looks like, that's what we're growing toward. The Bible says in Ephesians that we're to grow up in all aspects unto him who is ahead even Christ until we attain to the maturity and the stature that measure and the fullness of Christ. That's our goal as human beings is to grow and get better at these things. Now, that's secure connection. Now, there's our book that's out in your little bookshop someplace, wherever that is, and it could be a big bookshop. I didn't mean to say little. Um, <laughs> it could be a gargantuan bookshop for all I know. Okay, that's in your bookshop is the field of attachment research, what happens with a baby when a baby is, is connected to by the mom and the dad. What happens to them if they have a secure connection or for the majority of us, an insecure connection? And so the insecure connectors, and this is not our little thing that we invented, 70 years of attachment research all over the world. You have insecure, avoider, pleaser, vacillator, controller, and victim. And we just want to talk to you about those for a second so that you can understand how each of them struggles with these points and how the, each of them is reactive and why it's difficult. On the back of that white piece of paper, you'll see a chart. And then Kay's going to explain what that avoider looks like. Yeah. And the chart, I'm not going to read it to you. It's really going, you can read it later. And you can also go on the website at howwelove.com and, and even take a test, a quiz that can help you understand your love style. But attachment research was probably the thing that changed our marriage more than any other thing we learned. And I learned that I was the avoider coming into adulthood. And an avoider is someone that grows up in a home where there's just not talk about feelings. In fact, I got trouble. My dad got mad if I cried. He got mad if I was mopey. And my mom got anxious. Like, I don't know what to do with you. So I learned not to show my feelings, and I learned to dismiss my feelings, and I learned not to acknowledge my feelings, and I got very good at it. So by the time I met him, I was fine. I was fine all the time because I didn't even know what feelings were anymore. And so in this kind of a home, it's not that your parents don't love you. It's just that they don't have a skill to pass on. And so um, the avoider isolates when things are not going well. Their stress response is to detach and flee. If I wasn't okay, I went inward. If I wasn't okay, I moved away from people. Um, I had a late-term miscarriage when we had been married about um, 15 years, and this was before I understood the avoider imprint. And I told my husband, I'm going to get a hotel down in San Diego and work this out with God because I'm really mad at God. And... I went away from people, and it took me several more years to realize, oh, that's when I needed people. I needed comfort. But avoiders don't have memories of comfort, so they don't even think, oh, I'm not okay. I should go to a person. So for the avoider, when you think of managing stress, they flee. When you think of self-awareness and other awareness, they're very limited in those skills. They're great workers. They're great at tasks. Their love language they will pick is acts of service because that's what they're comfortable with. They're not going to pick quality time. 
they're not going to pick, um, you know, conversations. And when you ask an avoider, you know, to describe their internal world, they look at you like, what are you talking about? See, you, you guys know, you're married to one. Or you have a board member that's one. Or Don't you point have a at anybody during this workshop, okay? <laughs> Don't point. All right, go ahead. Board member. And then in terms of rupture and repair, I, I didn't even really acknowledge ruptures. We didn't really f have many deep, well, we really had no deep conversations for the first 15 years of our marriage because we were both conflict avoiders. And so I would say there's also can be a lack of honesty, but that comes from a lack of awareness. And in addition, because I don't have memories of comfort growing up, I wasn't a good comforter. Um, I, I wasn't, it wasn't natural for me to go s towards someone who was upset or crying. I wanted to fix it quick and let's pull yourself up by the bootstraps and let's keep going. And so that's how avoiders think because that's how they were trained to think. Now, we, we don't have time today to do growth goals, but the, there's a corresponding workbook with the book that has a whole chapter just for you avoiders that will take you on a growth journey um, if you really embrace your woundedness and, and you're willing to grow. And it's not a gender thing. You know, we think of men as avoiders, but I was very much an avoider as a female. So I think with that, I'm glad you said it's not about gender uh, because here you are, a full-fledged female, and I'm so glad you are. And, and in fact- I'm full-fledged. Yes, I'm so glad of that. And it's apparent to me that that's the case. <laughs> And, but you're, you're emotionally avoidant. And so here's, here's the question I have to ask you. Does the emotionally avoidant, dismissive, minimizing, non-empathetic person remind you of Jesus? It took you a while. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> Does this avoider remind you of Jesus? No. And, and yet we can have theological expertise, church planning expertise, but we're missing an element that would remind you of Jesus because we are missing an emotional development piece that could have been developed early, but was not. Good news, we can learn it as adults. She's no longer emotionally avoidant. No longer. Zip zero. All right. I won't talk about what it was like to be married to oh, that. Oh, come on. Tell him no, it's okay. No, I'm not. All right. I was, I was we raised. We would tell you if you had more time. On another occasion, let's do that. But we are limited know, on our I time. Know, I know, All right. I grew up in a home with a, an angry, volatile parent. I was scared all the time. I never knew and who was also fearful, immensely fearful. Children, little children, what do they pick up the most in a home? What is taught, what is modeled? No, they pick up the emotional atmosphere of the home. That's what children pick up the most. And if there is a stable emotional atmosphere in the home, that is what they will absorb and they will feel safe and secure. If it is not an emotional, safe place, the child will begin to reflect that. A lot of times we look at kids and say, well, they have ADD, or they have this or that or whatever. Uh, and we have to stop and look at, well, who are the parents, and what are the parents doing in that home? And we just don't look at the kids, because the parents are very responsible for setting that stage. I was terrified as a kid. So I grew up with anxiety. And I don't think you said you were talking about the pleaser. Pleaser. 
I haven't said that yet. No. But that would be important to but say. But I knew that. But and I don't I was think just, they knew that. And you I knew was that. Just, so I was going to be like Paul and say, therefore, and I was going <laughs> to throw true. in a therefore, <laughs> and that's what I was going to do in my mind. Okay. Okay. Go ahead but and do that. Anyhow, the pleaser is what I'm talking about. And I grew up in this home that was fear-based, okay? And so my home was like this, okay? I was nervous. I was scared. I was anxious. I'd lay awake at night. I prayed the longest prayers in the whole world and so on and so forth. So when Kay came along and she was like this, how do you think that felt to me? It felt good. Except in the ER, after a while, this is a flat line. And, and, and so, and so you, th there's this, this lack of connection, and there's just nothing quite there to grab onto. And so that created stress between the two of us. With anger and fear at the base, I didn't want to face reality either. I didn't want to face what was going on inside me. I, let alone ask her what was going on inside her. What, why would I want to talk about bad news from yesterday. So pleasers are your caretakers, your rescuers, uh, your, the people that over, they'll overextend in situations. And then they wear out, they run out of gas. At the end of 10 years of planting a church, I was exhausted. And, but then I realized I was a problem. Anything you want to add to that? Um, yeah, pleasers have a really hard time saying no because saying no might cause conflict and they're conflict avoidant. So both of us didn't like conflict, but I could go over here as an avoider and detach and I was fine. If he was upset, he'll, he's going to get over it because that's what I did as a kid. I just got over it and I did it by myself. For the pleaser, they want to stay close. They want to monitor you and, and check your mood and make sure that you're okay. And if you're not okay, they don't want to go deep. They just want to take you to dinner or get you flowers or make you smile again. Because if he's smiling, or as a pleaser, if I was smiling, then you were okay. Yeah, if you were okay, then I was okay. Right. My, my view of self was in, based entirely upon your reflection and whether you were happy or not. So my sole, my sole purpose was to somehow get her to smile again, then I could, oh, which was exactly what I've been doing for years, years and years and years. Yeah, so you were very good at, you were pretty good at other awareness, and you could read moods pretty oh, well. Oh, but I was reading them for the purpose of trying to Indirectly. calculate my security, right. and so I was hypervigilant, and it was good when I was a lifeguard to be hypervigilant, okay, that's a good thing, but it isn't good here because you're overthinking, and you're worried all mm -hmm. the time, and anxious about what's going on in the other person. Is this rescuing caretaker overly um, um, distressed person, does that remind you of Jesus? No. And yet there's a lot of us in Christian leadership, they're pleasers. And there's a are you either a pleaser or a recovering pleaser? Are you an avoider or a recovering avoider? So we have to ask ourselves, are we on a sanctification journey? You see, our sanctification journeys were opposite of one another. She had to learn to what? Come close. Turn this way. I had to learn to come over here and be okay by myself. I was a dancer with myself. Whoa, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and, and I had to learn to be okay over here. And, and without her approval, 
dancing by myself over here. I had to learn to separate. She had to learn to connect. Opposite sanctification journeys. Now, what's the vacillator, just for the sake of time? Okay, just remind me. We have till 3.15, right? Yes. Okay, just making sure. That's okay. right. The vacillator comes from a home where there is some connection that really is, feels good to the child, but it's sporadic, and it's um, inconsistent, and it's sometimes more based on the parent's mood to be the parent right then um, than it is really what the child is needing at the moment. So my dad was a vacillator, and he could be very fun and engaged if he was in the mood. But his mood could change really fast, and then you knew the fun was over and get out of Dodge. Uh, so for the vacillator, how they deal with the pain of wanting and not having, um, they're always, it's almost like as a child, their longing for connection gets turned on high, and it never really feels like the longing is met. And so over time, they, they become angry. They're angry at this waiting period. And some introverted kids will just feel that internally, and extroverted kids might express it more outwardly, uh, especially if anger is tolerated in the family. Uh, but they, they deal with the pain of abandonment, and it, it could be like blatant abandonment. There was a divorce. There was a death. It could be um, like there was many nights my dad was home, but he was not present for the whole evening. So that's just a more subtle form of abandonment. But how a vacillator deals with that is they idealize the future. And so they look for connection in places oftentimes outside the home, and when they date, they want intense connection that they can feel. And usually dating provides that because there's more time, there's more attention, there's more intensity in that period. And so then they marry or they have a few kids and you know people have to work and guess what, they're waiting again. So for the vacillator, that waiting is very difficult and it feels to them like abandonment and they are the protesters. Pleasers kind of freeze when they're when they're confronted with something difficult. They're just kind of like, oh my gosh, I gotta do something to make this go away. Avoiders flee, vacillators protest. And the protest is about the lack of ideal. The protest is about, if you would just not do this, then I wouldn't feel this and everything would be fine. So they often idealize at first, and then they're always disappointed because nothing's ideal, right? Is life ideal? No, is marriage ideal? Nope. Neither is parenting. So they're, they're a setup for disappointment, and in this drop, they feel a lot of anger. What they don't realize is there's a lot of anxiety in there. They spend a lot of time in their head doing what we call rehearsing and reviewing. That means before you come to a conference like this, you go through all this, all this in your mind about what's it going to be like, and I hope I get this, and I hope I see it so-and-so, and I hope they do this, and I hope they don't do that. And then there's a lot of re reviewing after. How did that go? And oh, I don't think they, and you know, there's all this in the head. Do you vacillators know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's, it's painful. Um, and in moments in the head, they can be very hard on themselves, but you will never see that. That's a very private experience. But it builds up a lot of anxiety. And when vacillators protest and get angry, they most often will tell you they feel a lot better afterwards. Why? Because they just dumped a boatload of anxiety, but they don't really know that. Now, how do you think everybody else in the family or the board or your workplace feels after the anger? They're like, whoa, let's not get that shot off again. So, you know, everyone starts tiptoeing the around the vacillator to make sure that we don't set them off, to make sure there's no anger. And without realizing it, the vacillator's mood starts to control 
the organization or the family or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, I want to just say something here. Vacillators come up to us and say, oh, I'm that V1, but I don't want to be that V1 because I don't want to be mad. And I, our, all our counselors in our office are recovered vacillators because they're direct, they're honest, and they'll say what they think. And in couples therapy, you have to be able to do that. So none of these, these are all hurtful to relationships. Not, one is not worse than the other. They're injuries. They're not personalities. They're not temperaments. They're attachment injuries, and they can be healed. So they protest, and they fight for the ideal. And until they learn to take ideal down to real, um, because you get the mood swings, this isn't bipolar. This is, we're going on vacation. It's going to be great. Oh, my gosh, it's the best time we ever had. This is wonderful. Oh, my gosh. You didn't make reservations where I wanted or whatever, all the way down here. All good, all bad, all good, all bad. And so learning to integrate good and bad is another important growth goal. So does this protesting idealist look like Jesus? No. And, and so I'll say it again. We can be Christians. We can be saved. We can be spirit-filled, spirit-led. We could be church planners. We can be amazing people in many spectrums and, and facets of life. But when it comes down to this interpersonal relationship right here, whether it's marriage or whether it's friendship or a, or a close team working together, we can fail to connect and fail to be able to provide one another with, with the understanding and the comfort. You know, the Bible says we're supposed to comfort one another. The Bible says we're supposed to encourage one another. The Bible says we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. There's two dozen, three dozen, one another's in scriptures that, oh, by the way, are in the imperative uh, in the Greek, which is command. You're commanded to do these things. So this horizontal relationship that the body of Christ is supposed to have. And our relationships need, as leaders, if we want to be leaders at last, we have to be people that understand that and can get the support from people that we need. Now, does this person resemble Jesus? No, we said that. It's interesting, before I go to the last one, that the Apostle Paul, writing to a church of believers, Christians, people that already had the Lord, he said, you know, that in reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self. Well, we think of that. We think, well, I should lay aside an addiction or I should lay aside some of the big things that look so bad. But I had to lay aside being a pleaser because I realized it did not resemble Jesus. I wasn't grown up in that arena. And then we need to become healed. But how do we heal? It's a really not a fast healing. It's a slow healing as we go back and do the things we should have learned a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And growth and development does not happen fast. It happens in a slow maturation process. And the Bible has lots of metaphors for growth. And a lot of it is around the agricultural cycle of sowing and reaping and time and seasons and rain times and growth and fruitfulness. So put all, take, you, you said, I'm not going to be an avoider anymore. We made a decision. Now, just to give you a time perspective, we just celebrated our 46th anniversary. And we got married when we were 14, as you can tell. And so... The last category is the chaotic disorganized. We've been working on this stuff for 30 years. So that's when we got stuck and came to the end of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we worked really hard from year 10 to year 15, and that's when all this stuff really, really kicked 15 in. Really 15 to 20 would be more. 
No, I say it was 10 okay. to 15. All you right. can say it's 15 to 20, and we can tolerate not agreeing on things, and about that's a good thing. 10 to 20. Okay, how about 10 to 20? <laughs> okay, that's a compromise. <laughs> we just lost a minute. Okay. So, so there's, people who, there's people who come from homes that are tragic. They're chaotic, disorganized homes, and this is called a chaotic, disorganized attachment. Now, I'm going to ask you a hard question. I'm talking about this thing called attachment. You're thinking, what is this thing? So let me ask you a question. Who invented this? A baby in a mom. A baby in a mom's arms right here. Who invented this? I'll give you a hint. It starts with a G. <laughs> who invented this, this bonding thing right here? And who? God did. He invented that. He invented this. He invented this. Both sides. A child and the, the human being is a mammal, and yet there's the highest and longest dependence upon parents of all the mammals in all the world. We have this, this unique thing of who we are, and God designed this experience to be something that is supposed to invest into us. All right. But if what if I come from a dangerous home, a home where the parents who are supposed to provide security uh, and love and stability are themselves dangerous to the child? They themselves are putting the child into risk and danger and fear. This is a home that one person described as a home where there is fright without solutions. The child has no solutions to the fright that they feel. And so this child is, comes from a chaotic, disorganized home. Now, I'm going to be very controversial with you. <clears throat> and I'm not a pleaser anymore, so I can do that. But when we come to Christ, we're a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. But does God erase our history? No. God is very much a historical God, remembering history and bringing history into account to explain things. The cross was historically predicted millennia before the foundation of the world. So God's very much interested in history. And so we come to Christ, and that doesn't mean that we're free from a home like this or any of our other early imprinting. And so this person is often one who leaves home early. I talked to a guy the other day who left home when he was 14 years old with a wad of money in his pocket, and he had one motto, survive, eat, get more money, sleep, get up again, survive, eat, sleep, get some more money, and do it again. And some people that come out of this home become heavily controlling and heavily rigid. They didn't have any modeling of closeness and, and intimacy and what relationship feels like in a world there was no, nothing for them to see and model. And so they tend to adopt very rigid ways of doing things and creating lots of rigidity in their relationships, their churches, Rigidity are things to follow because if everybody stays online, then I don't feel anxious. When people start wobbling and getting off line or off direction, I start getting nervous. So get back there. Get back into place. Or they can end up being controlling or they can end up being a person who repeatedly throughout their life stays victimized where they don't have a voice. They can't say no. They can't stop people. And so they are their entire life having to tolerate the intolerable. 
And so this kind of a person grows up, accepts Christ. They come to know Christ, and it's wonderful that God embraces all of us. Through all of your church doors, people of all these categories are going to walk through your door and accept the Lord. And, but this is where their starting spot is. And they need help to know how to build this relationship. Oh, by the way, when we be, learn to talk to each other differently, which we're going to model to you in a few minutes, my prayers to God absolutely changed because I could bring the real me to him. And it even changed my prayer life dramatically. Is there anything else you want to say about this last yeah, category? I, I actually think God goes after people from really difficult homes because I think he grieves for what they went through. And it, his heart aches for some of the trauma that you in this room have been through. And so he draws you in to his family for healing, but the healing is just going to take longer because there's just more damage. And from this group, there's always a lot of unresolved trauma as an adult because as a child, when you're going through these things, you can't cry, How you, you can't get comfort, you can't be angry, you don't understand why it's happening. And in my home, it worked to be the avoider. If everybody just didn't show feelings, the whole family kind of went along better. In his family, it worked to be the pleaser. In this home, nothing works. So sometimes people say, well, I feel like I'm all of them. And the next thing we'll say is, did you come from a hard family? And they always say yes. And so, well, maybe you tried everything. But, you know, we just say, pick the thing you, you do the most and the relationship you most want to change. And, you know, these exist on a continuum. You can be, you can have a lot of secure connector traits and then be a mild pleaser. Or you can be an extreme pleaser. So these exist on a continuum as well. Uh, but they definitely all have trouble with managing stress because it doesn't work to flee. It doesn't work to freeze. And it doesn't work to fight in ways that don't get you anywhere. So self-awareness, other awareness, none of them have skills on both sides of that. And rupture and repairs is hard for all of these styles. So you know you can see that there's some a growth curve here. Uh, but for us, it was finally, we finally felt like we were getting to the root. Because uh, Mylan had complained I wasn't very affectionate for years. That's another thing about avoiders. You're usually not very affectionate. And I tried to be more affectionate, and this is how my family hugs, and so I would give him a hug, and, you know, he, he would say, well, I just don't really feel that. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. But when we begin to understand the injuries, then our heart turned to compassion because we realized what bugs you the most about people on your board or your friends or your spouse is got a childhood wound sitting under it. And until you see the childhood wound, you will be bugged. You will be irritated. But when you can see the childhood wound, you will have compassion. And you will realize they are operating out of an area of an injury. And when you can see the injury, you can have more compassion. So we, I wish we had time to go into a lot more of the growth things here, but you know they're all in the book. And there's an assessment for a secure connector um, on the website as well. So it's just you can just go through and say, I can do this or I can't do this, or yeah, I need to work on that. Well, then those become our growth goals. Right. Yeah. What do you think we have time for to do? Mm, let's do the role plays, and then let's model the comfort circles. Okay, I agree. Is that good? Yeah, as long as you say it was 
10 to 15 years. I mean. oh, okay, all right. So. I'll just agree with you. Okay, that's all right. All um, right, here we go. Okay, so we're going to model what these look like in marriage, but certainly you can do modifications of this. They can, you know, anytime you're close to a person, you're going to rub into these attachment wounds. Um, if you're married, who you're married to, you're, they're going to go into full bloom because attachment wounds started in a home and they go into full bloom in a home. Does that make sense? Okay, so. Because you're entering into another primary attachment. Anytime right. you get close to people, you, everybody starts to vibrate. And, and usually not in the most successful ways, especially when we get reactive or we're stressed. And then we don't become leaders that last. Okay? Or we're in danger of not lasting because uh, it's painful. Right. Hey, I'm home. Uh, Hi. Where's the mail? I have Is this today's to show you. mail? I'm so excited. No, I just not know. No, this. really, seriously. I, I got a surprise for you. But you know what? I have to know. There's something that came It'll, in the mail you can today. Wait. It can wait. It, just no, it's super it. important. It can't wait. I got to get. It's always it super important. We have to come sign on. it, and I got to get the facts by five o'clock. Every day, it's important. It's, it's ten I have minutes to, to show five. You. I have to get that done. Oh my gosh! You put the mail. How many times have I told you? Come say hi to me before you go to the mail. Hi. But no. Oh yeah. See, you don't even care. Hi. Wait, wait, no, I know. I'll become a piece of mail. Hi, I'm a piece of mail. Now do you see me? You know what? Why did I even get sometimes, a surprise for you? Sometimes Forget you it. throw I'm the done. mail away. I'm so done with you. Sometimes done. she throws the mail away. I need that mail. Gosh, sure hope she wants to have sex tonight. <laughs> no. That was not funny. <laughs> That little thing right there wasn't well, funny. Well, you're laughing because you relate, but who was he? A jerk. Thank you. <laughs> what style was he? The avoider. The avoider. What's he thinking about? Task. Get your check, check your list off. Make sure it gets done. Do the thing that's on the top of the pile. So what am I? I'm the vacillator. I'm thinking all day about this connection, what his face is going to look like, and How the surprise he he's going to see. And yeah, maybe he'll take me out to dinner after he sees this surprise. And so I've got my expectations here. And of course, they go down to here. And then what do I do? I protest. OK, here's another one. Hey, honey boo boo, I'm home. Hi. Hi. Yeah, they know who honey boo boo is, too. And oh, what you doing? I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what to cook for Ooh, dinner. I but like you know this. what? You can I go play this. with the kids. I don't need any help. I'm yeah, good. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of. It, are you okay? I'm fine. I just don't need you any don't help. Look okay. Your eyes are kind of wide and you're harsh. And I'm fine. And I kissed you and you didn't kiss me back. Oh, sorry. Well, that didn't feel like a very big kiss. You're, you know there what? Is, just, there is just something wrong. Are you sure well, you're nothing okay? Nothing wrong. Gosh, nothing Do, wrong. Let's cook this one. I, I don't need any help. I don't even know if I have everything for that. What are you doing? I was just seeing if we had what was in that recipe. I don't need any help. But I thought we could do it together and kind of hang out I and stuff really like that. I don't really want to do it together. You're really not good, are you? <sighs> now I am getting mad. Oh, that feels so familiar. Okay, so the thing about these core patterns is they come out over and over and over again. And they drive you insane. And you don't know why you can't beat this, this pattern. And you don't know why you do it over and over again. And the root is attachment. Okay, we'll do one more. Hi, Susie. Uh, oh, I, I know. I'm sorry. Hey. That sounds horrible. Hey, 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 I'm home. Oh, hi, honey. Hey, hey, hey. I, I know. I'm so sorry. Hello. I, I get it. I know. I really have to go. 
Hello? Susie, she just caught a divorce. I know. I'm home. I, well, maybe we could Susie's get together tomorrow. Home. I'm home. Okay. All right. Well, we'll find, yeah, I'll, I'll try and find some time. All right. I really have to go. Okay, bye. Well, you always have time for Susie. Oh, honey. I didn't know you were coming here a little early, so. You always have time for Susie. All no. this empathetic talk, I'll help you. I'll try tomorrow to figure this out. No. I Honey. remember when I walked through the door, once upon a time, you used to light up like a Christmas tree. Uh, you know. And now it's Susie, 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 oh, oh, you Susie, know what? Susie. How about I'll go, I'll go get your favorite dinner. You what do you, what? you want? Don't, Thai don't takeout? Try, don't try to pacify me with some dinner. I oh, just. Honey, we don't used be to, mad. We used to, this chemistry, something's wrong with, with what we used to be different. Uh, well, honey, <laughs> I mean, you, we've been married 15 years. Come on. No. But don't something's be mad. Wrong. No, something's wrong. I'm going to just go to the gym. I'm out of here. Who am I? Yep, vacillator pleaser. And it can be gender reversed. But what happens when we have couples come into our office is it doesn't take very long before we know what you do before you tell us what you do. <laughs> because these patterns are surprisingly predictable. And, you know, there's 16 of them on the website. Um, and there's a one-hour CD and a big old fat PDF that goes with it that helps you understand if you, you don't want that until you know what you are and your spouse is. If you're not married, this material helps you understand everyone in your life. When I go to the grocery store and someone's really rude or, you know, curt or short, I'm just thinking, wow, they, they are having a bad day or they've got some wound down there that's not healed yet. Or it gives you a lot more compassion when you understand most people that bug you have a wound. And if you're going to be a church planner, there's going to be people who bug you to death. And, you know, to understand even what, what it is that they do that's so irritating for you and why is it so irritating. Because we all have reactions inside to things that happen to us in our history. And when someone steps on a wound that's similar to a historical wound, we will fight, fight, or freeze um, if we don't know how to take it into relationship and talk about it. So uh, growth is uncomfortable because you have to break all the childhood rules. In my home, the unspoken rule was don't feel, don't be too needy, and take care of it on your own. I had to break all those rules to become more like Christ. And I was super uncomfortable because I like being independent and self-sufficient. Um, feeling needy was recognizing that, uh, hey, I, I had needs. That was hard. So whatever style you are, you know, there was unspoken childhood rules, and to grow, you have to really push against those. Uh, all I can tell you is if we had known the freedom of breaking that core pattern, there were days in that struggle where we were trying to move forward where I would just tell God, you know, go sanctify somebody else. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, really worn out and tired of this battle. <laughs> and yet, once we got to the other side, which took a couple years of hard work, we don't have that core pattern anymore. Do you know how right. nice that is? Really nice. And I, I think growth takes you towards freedom. And it's hard work, but you're, you're moving toward freedom. And I just want to remind you of that. So, which, is, which is, again, is sanctification, but it's emotional and relational sanctification. Yeah. Uh, I had a guy <laughs> ask me one day, he said, so how would you describe yourself? Just... How would you describe yourself? And I said, and this guy was a Christian religious leader. I said, well, uh, just really quickly, I guess I'd describe myself as an emotional and relational theologian. 
He goes, what's that? Well, have, what's this? It's emotional and relational theology, isn't it? I'm, I'm giving you a gesture again. From, from Genesis to Revelation, it's emotional and relational theology. But he didn't have a world to put that into because we don't hear it very often. Now, we're going to model to you what we're talking about. Um, on that white piece of paper you have, turn it over. There's a list of questions. Do you want to explain that? Okay. We're going to model for you the comfort circle, and that is on the green side of your bookmark. Um, so if you just look at that for a second, and the, there's four steps around it, um, self-awareness and other awareness, engage, find out more, and resolve. Now, those sound simple, but all of these styles are going to struggle to get around that. Um, engage just means that, I'm sorry, awareness just means I have to be aware that I even need comfort. Or I have to know that I'm having trouble managing an emotion that's a difficult feeling. And normally I would go do my addiction, but now I'm going to try and take it to a person. I'm aware of my emotion, the negative ones. Right, the mm -hmm. difficult ones, that I even can name them, which we needed that little feeling word list. So then engaging means I could invite him. I could see, oh, he's doing a stress response, which took me 16 years to realize was cleaning. He was, I liked cleaning. Believe me. No, you liked me cleaning. I liked you cleaning. Yeah, there's a difference. However, it, for the first 16 years, I didn't know that he was highly stressed and anxious when he was doing it mm -hmm. because that's what he did as a kid. I would stay in from playing and clean so I could figure out what was going on. See, so some of these things die hard. Right. I clean when I want to now, and my garage is messy right now, and I don't care. So I'm just, what? Because I'm not, it, it, but it doesn't stress me to see that, Garage. Secondly, if I'm stressed, I go to her now and to the Lord. I have different stress responses that I learned to be different. So okay. understanding what your spouse's stress response is or your bored people or whatever. And when you see it, invite them into the comfort circle. Hey, yeah. I think you need a comfort circle. So, so when we engage, we're speaking the truth in love, which is Ephesians chapter 4. Right. Okay. Then the, the next one, which is to explore, is James chapter 1. Be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear means I want to get information into my ears as quickly as possible, so I'm going to learn to ask questions. And then to resolve is to then do something that you would need that would help you feel better right now. Right. That you tell me what it is, not that I'm suggesting for you. Right. So the Bible says comfort one another, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So this is a comfort circle is a biblically driven mandate that allows for something different to happen here. Now, the reason you have a list of questions is because we find when we work with people, they don't know how to explore. No, they don't know any, how they to ask questions. They ask one question, and then they want to say their opinion mm -hmm. or their view of it. Mm -hmm. And so we teach people to stay in the listener role for 10, 20, 30 minutes. And some, many times we'll start out with this list of questions so couples can see what happens when you learn to explore. So I'm going to ask some of these. I'm not going to ask all of them for the sake of time. Hey, Eric, I have a, a favor. Could you guys two grab two of those stools over here and bring them up here? Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. Either Just, way. I'll scooch it over a little bit. Thank you. Thanks for being strong. All right. Perfect. <laughs> scooch up here just a little. Oh. Woo! 
<laughs> okay, so uh, this is not rehearsed, and he doesn't really know what I'm going to ask him. But I know you have a person in your life that's really stressing you right now and causing you a lot of feelings. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes, I do, and it's not you. Yeah, I know. Okay, so could you tell me the top three feelings you have when you're either in the presence of this person or they're in your mind and you're thinking about them? Well, this is a person that comes to my office every week who is amazingly a uh, smart person, but they're also chaotic and um, in a frenzy all the time. And their life is, the best word to describe them is they're walking hysteria. Okay. So you asked me Three what feelings. Then? How does it make you feel when you're around this person and you think of this person? Um, I always have apprehension when I know they're coming. Uh, so, so I have, I'm apprehensive. Um, I start to feel a little bit anxious. Not like I used to, but I do have some feelings of anxiety. Um, and then I would have to say that there is a part of me trying to figure out how to help this person understand what's really happening in their life. And so I'm perplexed as to how to reach them. It's a very hard person to try to reach. They don't want to hear anything about them. They just want to, other people to be fixed. Okay, so perplexed. Perplexed. And anxious. Anxious. And apprehensive. And apprehensive, that's right. And if you're perplexed, is there, is there a feeling of inadequacy in that? Well. Or they can make you feel like I, you're really hard. I don't know what to do to reach you. I think there's a blend between adequacy and truly mystified, you know, Lord, what will help reach this person? Because not all people want to hear uh, truth and or they don't want to. Um, it's just hard to know how to reach that person without them being overly reactive. Okay, so could you rate those feelings like 1 to 10? 1 is low, 10 is high, just so I have an idea of like, how strong those feelings are. So how about... Well, I normally sit at a two or a three on anxiety. Right. When I know that that hour is approaching, I'd say probably kick up to a six and on a scale of one to ten. Oh, that's pretty high. It is. How about apprehensive? Um, probably right about the same. I have a reasonable, some confidence. I'm excited um, about what I do. But in this particular case, I have a bit of apprehension, maybe a six. How about perplexed? Um, seven. Because the person is so dominant, so difficult to control, so hysterical, I, it's just very difficult to know how to reach that person and to contain them and to, to help them. Okay, so are, are you aware at all of where you feel these feelings in your body or what happens physically to you when you're feeling this, this cluster of feelings? Time out. If you have that white piece of paper, you're going to see Kay is working through this white piece of paper. You got it? And she may not go exactly, but we're following this. This Okay. Yes, I can tell you exactly where my body feels it. Um, first of all, I do feel my, uh, I, I, feel, I can feel some adrenaline. Mm -hmm. 
uh, just that I'm, I'm keying up for something. Right. Uh, I can feel a sense of, uh, uh, I'm sure my blood pressure goes up, my heart rate elevates. Uh, oftentimes, in years past, especially if I would get anxious, my throat would dry out. Um, so uh, that's, that's where I feel that. I feel also my neck and shoulders, you know, my yeah, shoulder gets tight. Left one. Yeah, gets tight. Okay, so this is what I'm hearing. And then I'm usually not hungry, so I know it affects my gut. Wow. Hmm. I didn't think of that one. The others don't really surprise me, but that I hadn't put together. Well or I wouldn't expect. I mean, now it makes sense now that you say it. Mm -hmm. But Do you remember when I came home from my mom's? Yes, that's what I was just thinking about. I would about. sometimes say I just can't eat dinner right now. Yeah. I have to give me an hour. And yeah, I do. Yeah. So what, like, what do you do with these feelings and these behaviors? Like what, how do you manage them, you know, either before, during, and after? You, you sound like they, they aren't, they're, they're coming before the session, they're coming during the session, and then I, I'm assuming there's some residue. I, I what do I do with those feelings? Mm -hmm. Well, I know they're there. Um, I remind myself that they're old, familiar feelings, that yeah. I've, they're not new to me. Um, I also tell myself they're appropriate feelings for the stress that I'm under with this person. And... I know I can always come home and share them with you later and um, process that with you. And then I usually also uh, talk to the Lord about them and say, okay, you know, help me proceed and help, help me be able to move forth in the midst of this. And so I basically don't turn my attention to them anymore. They used to occupy all my thinking. Mm -hmm. Now I'm able to be stay very focused with the people and stay very present with them. So I, uh, I don't ignore them, but I don't give them prominence. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of growth. Yeah, it is. I am proud of you for that, by the way. Thank you. But I, I know it must be miserable because there's not many people that make you really feel like that mm -hmm. anymore. And so it's like to find some those old feelings coming back. Can you... Tell me a time when you were growing up. Was there a, these same cluster of feelings? Anxious, apprehensive, perplexed? Can you tell me about a time? Is there a time? And can you tell me a specific memory of a time like well, those, that? That was my childhood. I, I felt that because um, I, I had a parent, as I shared with a group a minute ago, who was frantic, hysterical, angry, dominating, and it would come out of nowhere. And so it would catch me by surprise. It would create anxiety. I would be perplexed. I wouldn't know what to do. Now I have a lot more experience and seasoning to know what to do, but I, I, st I, would, I, would, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that they s I still have some of that as I enter into situations with a person that's not easy to control, volatile, unpredictable, all those different feelings were was just my home all over again. So being around this person kind of evokes the atmosphere of your home. Absolutely. And that constant and I, I Except so there I was paralyzed and here I'm not. And that's that's, true. that's, that's the that's liberation and the freedom. But you know what just is kind of striking me is that perplexed was your strongest word 
And I think as a child, that would have been so hard to figure out. Why, why is there so much anger and why does it come and what, well, how do I make it stop? And it must have been really confusing. I was, that's why I was trying to look for anything I could. I'd stay in and clean just to try and figure out what was going on, hoping that somehow I could catch a drift or a shift. But I, had, I was helpless as a 10-year-old kid to figure out what to do there. That's not a good feeling. No, it was, it was a horrible feeling. So is there any part of it? But, today, but today there's legitimacy to the perplexed. Oh, there is. I agree. I, I because, agree. Because some people are very, very difficult, and some people are very resistive, and they don't want help. And uh, so th there is a perplexion or perplexity there. And so um, there's some validity to that, you know, trying to ask God what to do, how to, how to make this work, how to help them the best. So what do you think you need? Because I know what day you at least see this person. So what do you think you need when you come home? Can I change that a little bit? Yeah, of course. It's more like, what do I need the night before? Because <laughs> often I'll wake up at 2 a.m. and that's what I start thinking about. Wow. And so the ability to um, maybe on those nights to, to pray together, to talk, uh, to at least share the nature. And Tuesday's my heaviest day I anyhow. And so um, it, it's just a day that, that saps a lot of energy. If I slept better, that would be helpful too. Mm. So if you did wake up, would you want to wake me up? And could you or would you? That's I would like you to. That. You know, we, we talked about that a couple of times. It's really hard to do to think about waking you up when you're in la-la land, I you know. know and but it's and like... You sleep well. You sleep really, really well. I and know. I don't sleep as well as you do. And so that's, again... But see, the benefit of that is I could go right back to sleep. That's true. But if, if you're saying you would do that, I would do that. Okay. Because that's kind of the, the leftover pleaser, too, that has a hard time receiving. Well, you're right. Okay, so I'm going to be really happy when you wake me up. Holy cow. Okay. <laughs> I see that look. <laughs> and maybe something else will happen. <laughs> no, that's not what I was saying. But, you know, that thing you said just a second ago about remnants of the pleaser. Yeah, yeah I don't want to disturb you. I don't want to wake you I up. I don't want to make you have to come out of whatever is going I know, on. So I tend like, to I know. I tend to do things myself a lot and of course in the last thirty years I've learned to rely on you and you on me. And so this is um, just another little area of growth. That's another one. That's yeah. why yeah. But see we're still doing it, folks. Well so it's like is still the still doing what? Growing, learning. Oh, saying, okay. oh yeah, that is a remnant of the pleaser, the avoider. <laughs> we're still doing it, folks. Doing what? <laughs> You know? <laughs> Sorry, had to clarify. Good point. Yeah. Could so, be a lot of things. Well, I think the thing is, is that there will always be stress. There will always be things in our lives that are hard. I can have a conversational wit like this. First of all, what observations do you have about what we just did? What observations do you have? Or comments or questions? 
What? Yeah. In fact, when we work with a couple and the officer on stage, we make them write down the answers to the questions on that piece of paper because most people can't go back and rename the three feelings and, and review. But what was, a, what was the use? She said, we went slowly. Oh, we didn't rush. Yes, that's right. That's when right. you stay in the listener role and you're trying to explore and be curious, it's not a fast conversation. Conversations get fast and furious when each person is defensive and they're going at each other with their point of view. And you never get anywhere, right? I mean, when did you know this was gonna go nowhere? Oh, 10 minutes ago. <laughs> it's hard to stop. Any other questions, comments, or observations? It was a slow process. Many of us are so busy and doing so much and burning the candle at both ends, but if we don't slow down to do this, we won't be able to do that, okay? This is the filling station. Um, we write in our book, How We Love, that we have two tanks inside. We have a pressure tank and a fuel tank. And if every day, you to me and me to you, we can reduce the pressure in the other person and also fill the tank of the other person, this is a place I'm going to want to hang out. You know what I mean? Mm. This is going to be a friendly place, a, a safe place. Uh, any other comments about what we did? You have a question or a comment? Right. You know, that sounds like, oh, repeat back what you heard. It's like, oh, ho-hum. Uh, but you'd be surprised how many times someone repeats it back, and it's like, no, that's not really it. Uh, you know, let me try again to say it more clearly. So the reason we're demonstrating this is we want you to understand that extended listening is very powerful. And it takes you to a, a depth that you will never go in a back-and-forth conversation. And so this list, to some people, will feel like a relief. Oh, gosh, I've got a guide here. Other people feel like, oh, it's so scripted. I don't want to do it. Um, just do it. Because, you Somebody know. Somebody ought to coin that phrase. Yeah, I, that yeah. would be a good book just title. Do just it. do it. Yeah. Uh, because you'd be surprised what you'll learn. At. And when we work with a couple up in front in our longer workshop, we start with the question, what bugged you the most about me? And so if you want to be really brave and do the advanced version, you can ask that question and then go through all the questions instead of just, we skipped a few because of time. So let me comment uh, just to close before Eric comes up that, so after 13 years, 12, 13 years in, in ministry, we, we pushed the pause button and we stepped out to do this work right here. And I went to work in corporate America and then uh, for 12 years, and then we entered back into ministry again, but we were different people. Mm -hmm. And so here we are at the 46-year mark, and who we are, our emotional states, the relaxation that we have giving, uh, the love that we have for people, the ability uh, to to give, how would you describe the difference between who we are now and, and the old us? Gosh, I would say the main thing is there's a depth of understanding of people and the injuries that they carry and that the church is full of wounded people that desperately need healing and don't even know what is the driving force. 
And so to have a church that's going to be a healing church, you can't take a student beyond where you've gone. The Bible says a pupil cannot rise above his teacher. So I would really encourage you to, in a primary relationship, whether it's with a friend or if you're married with your spouse, learn these skills, take responsibility for your own areas of deficiency and grow because you will take everyone else along with you as you grow. And so I think our impact on people now is so much greater because we did the growth, we did the work ourselves. So when we're asking someone to do something, we know exactly what it feels like to go through that process. And that's really important. Pastor Eric, why don't you yeah. lead us in the next? Yeah. Let's Thank give you. it up for the Yurkoviches. <laughs>